All right. Hello, everyone. This is the Mindful Steward Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this new episode. I'm excited to share this. I'm excited to get some new content out. And it was a really awesome conversation. And I think anyone who's interested in mindfulness and a lot of the modern topics of discussion in this space will find this conversation quite interesting and enjoyable. So my guest in this episode is a friend of mine from high school named Paula Rayo. I've had a lot of people tell me about a project and some of the stuff that Paula has been up to over the last several years. In general, it had been a long time since we last chatted, but hearing that she's been doing some work in the space of mental health and mindfulness and doing a little bit of research there, I felt the need to reach out and ask her a little more about it and knew that we had to record a podcast episode to dive into this interesting topic. So when it comes to the modern renaissance of psychedelics as a tool for therapy and ayahuasca, which, you know, five years ago was a very taboo topic. I think very few people were talking about it, although it was still something people were utilizing for personal growth and to heal from mental traumas, etc. It's now become something where you go on Netflix and you search it and there's a whole bunch of different documentaries and shows. And it's becoming a much more regular topic. There are publicly traded companies in the psychedelic research space. There are states and cities decriminalizing these substances so that they can heal their population of drug addictions or whatever it may be, or even just change the way we utilize tools for mental health from utilizing pharmaceutical drugs to using natural substances from the earth that require less time and less use of the actual product to heal the people more effectively. So this is some of the information that is coming out that is propelling this new second wave of this industry. And what really drew me to have a conversation with Paula was that she, five years ago, did a master's thesis on plant medicine. That research project took her to the Amazon jungle where she studied participants in ayahuasca ceremonies, what they got out of it, what they came into it with, what kind of mindset they had, the meaning, the intrinsic meaning that they attributed to their experience, etc., etc. And that eventually led her on to a position where she was the director of a laboratory where a lot of research around mindfulness, neurofeedback, consciousness, human meeting, I'm not sure if she did do research on plant medicine there, but it was a lot to do with the mind, mental health, VR, and how all these tools can be combined and utilized to create tools that help people, that basically help people with whatever they might be going through mentally. And just to gain a little more insight into the human mind in general. So I, of course reached out to learn a little bit more about that, and that's where this podcast came from. So I think if any of that conversation sounds interesting, 
you'll probably enjoy this episode. And just before I get it started, of course, if anyone is interested in The Mindful Steward, learning more about mindfulness, or learning more about corporate mindfulness and corporate stress resilience training, please go to my website. Please send me an email. You can contact me through there. This is now what I do for a living, one of the the businesses I own and operate. And I know that there's a lot of news about businesses and work teams experiencing a lot of stress. And the thing is, there are tools that can help with that. And that's what I'm doing. I'm helping companies equip their teams with those tools, with that understanding of what stress is, where it comes from, why this ancient practice of mindfulness can help support that, and also just stress education in general. So if that's interesting to you at all, if you think that your company or someone else's can benefit from that, please send me an email. And that's the last time in this episode I'm going to talk about that, but let's get this started. This is a great episode. Feel free to leave a review or a comment or whatever you see fitting if you do enjoy it. All right, thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you next time. Awesome. Well, on that note, I guess I'll introduce you. So, first of all, welcome to the Mindful Steward podcast. Thank you. Glad uh, to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited about this conversation. Um, And I guess you already know this. We've already had a chat about it, but for anyone who might be new here, I'm a huge, I'm really passionate about mental health and all the research behind it and even just self-awareness and like all, everything that has to do with mindfulness and personal Mm -hmm. growth. They're all just topics I'm really interested in. And you and I actually went to high school together, although didn't know you that well back then. Um, And then I think we were at King's at the same time too. We crossed oh, a little bit there. Probably. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. And then um, more recently, I think I was just, you know, now that I run a business in the mindfulness space and have my podcast and a website that is getting um, more visitors throughout the years, uh, I've just got to connect with a lot of cool people and I started hearing that you were up to some pretty interesting research projects as part of your schooling also, um, which led you down a pretty cool path, I think. And you've got a lot of interesting things to share about some of the things that are really coming. They're having like a modern day renaissance, which is, you know, I think mindfulness in general is, I think studying consciousness is having another renaissance Mm -hmm. and studying the power of plant medicine um, and even just to to understand it because there are really ancient traditions that really predate modern society by a long time. And I think we're all trying to figure them out. And on that note, um, Paula, I guess I'll let you introduce yourself and would love to hear a little more about how you found yourself in this position where you're kind of an expert in this space and you're a researcher and people are sending me your way to ask you to be on my podcast because you have cool things to talk about. All right. Thank you. Well, 
I don't know if I would call myself an expert. I mean, it's just this interesting, fun, cool project that I did. Um, so uh, let's go back to Kings. I think that's really when it started all. Um, I took this class, it's called Alterations of Consciousness um, by Mons Bruce. And that was my first exposure to, you know, studying consciousness and meditation, like all these topics within altered states of consciousness, which are just fascinating. And one of those topics was psychedelics. And in that chapter, I read about ayahuasca and um, I read how it was part of this indigenous tradition in the Amazon jungle, which includes Peru, Colombia, Brazil. And so because I'm Colombian, I was really curious about um, how it's related to where I come from. And, you know, I left Colombia when I was four years old. So I felt kind of like disconnected from my culture a bit, even though I grew up in such a Colombian household. But I'm just more curious about Colombia and like our heritage and everything. So uh, I was fascinated by it. I started researching it more. I developed a, a really nice relationship with this professor in Montsbruch. And, and then um, I was a little bit rebellious, like near the end of fourth year, I didn't really want to finish school because I said like, you know, what's the point? Um, it's all corrupted. You know, I think everybody more or less goes through this phase where it's like, I don't know, screw school and, and everything's corrupt and medicine's corrupt. So why even bother? I'm just going to go and like, do what I want to do. And then um, with this professor, we developed such a nice relationship that I would tell him, I would go into his office hours often. And I tell him how just tired I was of it all and he was like well you know you could probably make a stronger impact from within the system than from outside the system and you you have the capabilities to like keep going and and make a really strong impact so just try to keep going and you know I thought about it but I still went to Spain to Europe and I thought well you know I'm not going to come back I'm just going to go to Spain and live there whatever so I went to Spain for like three months and then near the end my visa was expiring I didn't really know what to do and uh I asked basically I asked the universe for a sign I was like okay what should I do and then I went into this this big library because I was staying at like this farmhouse through Workaway, and I was volunteering there and they had this big library so I went in I picked out a book and then I opened a random page and then there's this line stuck out and it said in Spanish, it said, stay close to your mother. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting. What a, what a way to give me a sign. And it, it, yeah, it just felt like things weren't really working out in, in Spain. And, um, you know, I really tried to listen to when I, I'm on my path, I try to see what's working and what's not. Basically, like following the path of least resistance. And it felt like staying in Spain, there was a bit of resistance. Whereas going back to London, it was just like, 
wide open. The doors were wide open. And it just felt like the natural next step. So um, I was really late for going back to school, but I, I emailed this professor. I said, hey, I don't think I can come back because it's too late. And he said, oh, don't worry. You can do it from there. We'll, we'll work something out or, or like come home, whatever. We'll figure it out. So it was really nice that he never gave up on me, even though it was really late to sign up for school. It was already September, you know? Oh, wow. And then, yeah. <laughs> so, and, so this is your fifth year at this point? Yeah, so I finished okay. everything. I could have graduated just like with a basic bachelor's degree, but um, I just needed to finish the thesis class to get my honors degree. So I said, okay, I'll go back to finish my thesis. And then, um, Another part of it too was I was like tapping more internally too into how I felt and what I was doing in Spain was fun, entertaining, whatever, but it didn't really like light me up the way that, you know, studying these topics did or, you know, being an academic. I think like that's when I realized like maybe I am an academic at heart because those things, that kind of work really lights me up. Whereas what I was doing in Spain, just volunteering, meeting people, partying, you know, that, that was fun, but it didn't light me up from inside. So that, that's another way, reason for coming back and, and like, you know, really listening to that path of least resistance. So I came back and it just felt so right. It felt like oh, so good to be home and, and getting back into these topics because now I'm like so lit up again, you know? Um, and I think we all often go through these moments where we're just like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I've definitely had that a lot. <laughs> definitely. I think ev everyone goes through that. That's the conclusion yeah. I've come to as well. Exactly. So I think you have to develop this internal compass where it's like, what really lights me up and and what is the passive least resistance and you just follow that and you don't have to know exactly what is at the end of the road you just have to follow that road and so i did that i, I learned how to develop that and when i got back i didn't really know what i wanted to do but i knew for sure i wanted to work with him and he took me on i emailed the the thesis coordinator I asked her to take me in and she was like, well, this is kind of an unusual request for someone to be signing up so late. You can find a supervisor, sure, we'll take you. And of course, Imant was there waiting for me. Because, <laughs> you know, for so many years, we've already developed such a nice relationship and he really believed in me. He believed that, you know, I had this potential to do so much more. So that was really nice. And I was, we were trying to figure out what I could do so we were bouncing around ideas and then jokingly in one of our conversations i was like you know what i would really love to do i would love to go down to colombia into the jungle and research ayahuasca and and then <laughs> he was like well why don't you do it and i said no way that's crazy that was just a joke <laughs> <laughs> And um, he said, well, I don't see anything wrong with you doing that. You could totally do it. And so you should just do it. So then I left and I kind of thought about it. And I was like, how would I possibly do that? That's crazy. First of all, 
I would have to tell my parents and my, my whole family. I'd have to tell um, my whole class, the entire university that I want to go into the jungle by myself, study psychedelics. Like that's insane. There's no way they're going to all accept that. <laughs> and how would I even get the money? And so in a way, he really coached me to like mentally accept that it's a possibility that I could make it a reality, which I'm so grateful for him for that. You know, not only did he coach me through the logistics of the whole study, but he also coached me emotionally and mentally and like just made me really strong to to face all sorts of authorities and say, yes, I'm doing this and there's nothing wrong with me doing this because I'm just going to observe this natural phenomenon that already happens, you know? And that's yeah. what your research is all about, you know? So what, what year was it that you, what year was this? Was this like 2015? Yeah, this was September, 2015. Cause that even, Nowadays, you go on Netflix and there's tons of documentaries about ayahuasca. Oh, yeah. It's almost, even in the last three years, it's become so it's such a normal topic. But literally five years ago, I feel like I didn't even know what it was. Right, exactly. So, I, I can see why it, it would be a challenge. Starting. Yeah, it was just starting then. I was definitely watching everything that there was on ayahuasca honestly, and reading everything. I was obsessed with the topic. And that's why at the time I knew that this was so right for me because you need that kind of fire to do something like this because it's now looking back on it, it is pretty crazy what I did. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if at this age now I would go and do something like that again because I don't know, I think as you grow older, you, you kind of mold more into your rational mind and it's, it's hard to go back into like, this free flowing child state kind of mind, you know? And I think that's the state that I was in back then. You know, I was really wanting to travel, explore the world. I had, I was fearless. Um, but now it's, it's a little different. It's like, I recognize some of the consequences that come from going a little too crazy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, he coached me through the whole thing and so I was, I was reading everything. I was super excited. I, I'm so glad actually that the thesis class was my only class at the time because that's all I had to focus on. And he secured funding for me, um, which is another funny story, which I'll get to later about the funding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then um, I was finally ready to submit my thesis to the ethics committee. And I was super nervous about that because I didn't know how the university was going to react. But he was like, my Imans was like, you know, just put it in as it's this very normal thing. Like you're just observing American football, you know, like don't jazz it up. Don't say, you know, in, in your wording, just keep it super sober and normal. And then <laughs> submitted it. And sure enough, I get an email from the profs that are in this committee and, and saying like, hey, can I talk to you about this? So I had to go in and talk to them like, why do you wanna do this? And you know, all these questions. And then um, apparently they were also calling my supervisor saying, why, why are you letting her do this? Like, this is a little crazy. This is just too much. You're gonna let her go on her own. 
And then <laughs> I love this. He said, well, you know, she's not in daycare, you know, she's an adult, so she can do whatever she wants, which is awesome. I, I love that he stood up for me like that. And well, the other advantage was that I already speak the language. So it's actually not so crazy for me to go because it's like sort of going back home in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was researching what ayahuasca centers I wanted to go to. And um, Dr. Baru said, make sure you choose one that's more or less legitimate. And so like the, there has to be something that you can prove is legitimate. And it's not just like a party place where we're just going to go do ayahuasca, you know, because there's a lot of illegitimate places down there. Oh, uh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So I did read a lot of research. I looked up like all the ayahuasca centers and all the countries. And then I found this really interesting one that was um, being run by an American doctor, physician. Um, but he's also Colombian, which was kind of cool because it's kind of like my story too, where he's North American, but curious about his roots. And then, and then that's like me, what happened? I'm Canadian, but curious about my Colombian roots. And then there was also a Canadian artist and then this uh, Shipibo Shaman. Those were the three business owners, this place called Niwe Rao. So I was like, great, that's the one. That's the one that seems most legit, mostly because of this American doctor. He just put like the stamp of legit on it for me. And I emailed them, I was emailing with him and it was really nice because he was super supportive. I said, I want to do this research. And he said, yeah, that's great. Look, um, I, we can even give you a discount. Come and do this. We're really excited about it. And so finally I went in December. Um, I had to forfeit my Christmas holidays. <laughs> so I, I spent Christmas down there. I went the beginning of December and came back in January. And just like what happened down there over a month was... It was just so much. It was a lot. Um, <laughs> so I, I may not go into too many details, but I just loved it. I loved the whole experience. I loved um, the feeling of the jungle and being so close to nature. I loved being in community. I loved learning about this indigenous Shipibo culture and sharing in ayahuasca learning about it drinking ayahuasca and even the research it was just fascinating and it's definitely like one of the top experiences of my life you know uh, so i'm so grateful for it and then Amazing. yeah and then when i got back um, my supervisor i think it was like the first time we met again he said, do you want a job? <laughs> and I was like, I would love a job, <laughs> you know? Um, and he said that he knew someone who was hiring, who was looking for a research assistant in virtual reality re related to altered states of consciousness. So what he wanted to do was open up a virtual reality lab and see if he could use virtual reality as a way to alter consciousness in a for for a healthier lifestyle right so using vr for 
to teach people how to meditate or maybe to face their fears. Um, there's just so many applications that you could use for VR. And so he wanted to hire someone that would help him do that. And so what's funny is that he's the person who funded my research. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I forgot you told me about that part. Mm -hmm. So this is after you got home, he's asking you. This is after I got home. He, he asked yeah. me if I wanted to, yeah, if I wanted a job. So, you know, fresh out of the jungle. And then I go straight into this job, which was fascinating too, because I met this guy. So the, the one that funded my research. Um, let's call him Steve. <laughs> uh, okay. That's a pseudonym. <laughs> yeah, okay. Does he try and stay anonymous? Um, not necessarily. I just, okay. just playing it safe, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. I get it. I just was curious if this was like a secret thing that he does and he doesn't want anyone to know. No, I don't think so. I just like to play it safe. You never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. So, so Steve hired me and um, it was really awesome because what it really was, was he wanted to, he's had like this pet project for so many years and he wanted to start it, but he just didn't have time because he was running his main business, which was he was actually really well off with his business. That's why he was able to fund me and he's been able to fund um, Imans for so many years. And so uh, what we did was, he basically told me what he wanted to do. Like, okay, I wanna, I wanna buy VR and all these things so we can create these virtual reality experiences. So we can do this, 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 and this. But if you wanna you know, do your own projects and like see what you come up with, you can do that as well. If you wanna buy books, let me know. I'll buy you all the books you want. Any, any equipment you want, we can buy it, anything. Just like go at it, you know? Just like let your creativity soar. And that was my job, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> like Incredible, I'd, oh my I'd, God. I'd go into the office and just read books on consciousness which was like the best thing for me you know like that's I was obsessed with these topics yeah and, and straight out of the jungle too like totally believing in magic obviously seeing all this magic in the jungle uh the way that the shamans heal people and really that's like when I was directly exposed to yeah it really is magic I I, I don't necessarily want to use the word magic because that might turn some people off and not take it seriously like there's a certain connotation to that word but yeah I don't know to, yeah exactly I don't know how else to describe it it's it's real it's like this other reality that's so malleable you know like you can really change reality if you tap into these different worlds or or these states of consciousness mm -hmm. and so I was really inspired by that and I wanted to use VR and neurofeedback, put those two things together so that we could sort of recreate the ayahuasca psychedelic experience. So in the ayahuasca experience, for me, what I saw was you're just like more exposed to energy. Okay, so let me start from here. We have our five senses and that's how we perceive information. 
but when you take a psychedelic like ayahuasca you have all these filters removed and you realize that in reality you have like a million senses and it's just that when you're in a, a normal state of consciousness you only have five senses so when you take ayahuasca or another psychedelic you're you all of a sudden have all these senses open up and so you can really feel energy not only within you but outside of you and then it's a, like a feedback loop like what's inside of you creates what's outside of you and then what's outside of you uh, influences what's inside of you and um that's why it can be so scary sometimes because you know like you're so sensitive to energy if there's even just like a minor bad thought it can totally throw you off and send you into a really dark spiral but it can also take you to very beautiful places and if you're in a good vibe if you're having this beautiful ikaro saying to you then you can really see things for what they really are so what i wanted to do in vr was replicate that and make so with the neurofeedback it's like what you are thinking you see it in the virtual reality so if you're having like a negative thought it's like the virtual reality will take you to a, a kind of dark place and then the trick is to help you figure out how to get back into like a, a neutral place a centered place or a more loving place but without like the overwhelming amount of stimuli that you would get in a psychedelic experience you know like uh, develop that yeah. in, a, in a safer space and that is what neurofeedback is really but with virtual reality it just enhances it more because your brain doesn't know it, that it's virtual reality it you know you can totally trick your brain to think that that is reality and so um it's it's about that it's about like tricking your brain in a way to train it uh to confront difficult experiences or to regulate yourself you know mm -hmm. so then eventually i met up with three yeah no uh three friends arthur daniel and heather one night we just so i met heather heather and i went to school at king's together we met in in one of our psych classes and i hadn't seen her for so long but then i saw her again at a conference and she was doing neurofeedback and i was doing virtual reality so i said wow we really need to get together and talk about how we can work together because and she's really into psychedelics and altered states of consciousness as well so um it was just a great little meeting and then she was working with daniel in their lab their neurofeedback lab and he was researching meditation so and then i was good friends with arthur from a long time ago high school maybe and he just brought on so many other talents like business development and i don't know arthur is just like one of a kind very well-rounded person who knows a bit about everything <laughs> so yeah jack of all it, trades exactly um and so we all got together one night 
and it was so beautiful like it was our first meeting the four of us and we went to this like creative hub downtown and we invited a few other people but the four of us were just hitting it off so well it just felt like time had stopped and <laughs> forgot that, team. yeah oh my god it was amazing we we didn't even realize that there were other people there at one point and we were supposed to go out that night it was two in the morning and these other people that were there they're like hey so we're gonna head home now and we were like wait what what do you mean the night just got started and they were like uh it's two in the morning <laughs> they're like oh crap all right so they went home and then we just carried on our conversation and this vibe carried on until like five or six in the morning i remember even like taking them to tim horns for breakfast and we were still vibing we were like wow this is really special this is one of a kind meeting so i said okay you know what we need to do we need to get you guys into my office so that we can all work together so the next day i went and told my boss about all these really cool people that i met and how we need to get them on board and he was like yeah great that sounds great bring me the resumes and we'll get them on board <laughs> so i did that and then it was the four of us working in this really awesome environment where we could just do whatever we wanted and so it was like finally i had my team and it was beautiful like we had so many ideas um so many things that were just coming up and such a nice synergy uh so that was really fun for a while unfortunately we didn't really get to have the funds to put this all into action and so we felt like it was kind of falling apart in a way so we all kind of went our own ways and then i went traveling and everything but you know still i still more or less work with them um they're doing really cool things like daniel and arthur opened up the arcadia downtown uh i don't know if you've heard of it downtown london the arcadia is that what you said the arcadia yeah no i have not heard of that so it's a a vr place um and they they continue to do really cool projects with vr and ar and then heather continued working with neurofeedback then I went traveling for a while. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like now you're kind of getting back into it just with some of the projects you're getting involved with. I am. So I started TAing in that class, which is kind of cool because I hadn't taken that class in like eight years. And now I'm marking all the student essays. And then I'm also working with Joe. Joe is the part owner, the doctor, the American doctor that I told you about at the Ayahuasca yes. Center. Yeah. And yeah, so so that's been cool. Like we stayed in touch for all throughout all these years. And I saw him at the Ayahuasca Center. I sorry, at the Ayahuasca conference in 2016. And then yeah, so it's been fun. We we're running a course now on based on his book. The fellowship of the river he wrote a book and and so it's more or less about bridging the gap between modern medicine and traditional healing like ayahuasca but not just ayahuasca plant medicine 
and you know all this ancestral wisdom that we have lost uh, because for health in general you also have to look at the emotional side of the person you know and the spiritual side of the person which is something that we've totally lost in our culture um so oh, so yeah, yeah. so it, it's kind of funny uh when lately we've been hearing on the news that people really healthy people are dying from this coronavirus like they have no underlying health conditions nothing and but then i i wonder okay but in our culture we never even ask about their emotional state like what if this person looked really healthy but really they they were so depressed or so anxious like already on the verge of a huge crisis um well that's part of health too right and that's not something that the news would mention because it's just not a thing in our culture yeah i yeah. think i've actually read a bunch about that as well um but I think the book that got me onto that was Molecules of Emotion by Candace Pert. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. No, I haven't. Um, I, I find that every time someone talks about something on this podcast, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a, I heard about that in that one book. <laughs> I've read, I love reading, um, yeah. I guess. But yeah, there's, there's been a lot of research and it's not even just this one lady who kind of uncovered it that happy cells are way healthier than sad cells for sure. for sure it's like that that mind body connection isn't even a mystery anymore it's like that's what i'm so excited about what we're seeing right now as people in this day and age yeah is all these things that everyone thought was esoteric or i don't know like you were kind of even magic is it's all being kind of brought to light using those logical science and research-based things that our society is so hinged upon so it's totally it's, totally. it's not even arguable anymore um that's what was so, that's coming yeah out. that's what was so fascinating about my research so i didn't actually get to tell you what my research was about um i wanted to look into to see if when people participated in ayahuasca ceremonies could, would they have an increase in existential meaning? Um, and what I found was that, yes, it does. We did find a significant difference. So I'm, I'm not going to say that, yes, it does for sure. But in this particular study and in this context, we found a significant difference from before they participated in these ceremonies to after. So there was an increase in meaning. Uh, but what was so interesting about it all looking at the data and the patterns uh, was that the people that were going to benefit most from it regarding existential meaning were the ones that were able to surrender to the experience more. And then I started looking more into this idea of surrender. Like I hadn't even considered it, but it was just the data that came to life. And it's fascinating because it was math. It was um, statistics and a little bit of qualitative data, but mostly quantitative. Uh, and it, it honestly felt like God speaking to you through math. And that's what was so fascinating about this. And, and so this pattern of surrendering came up. And then I started looking into what different religions were saying about surrendering. And it's just like so basic and integral 
to all religions, all spiritual philosophies. Um, like, for example, Islam, Muslim means the surrendered one. Um, and Islam no is like, yeah, Islam is, is like this, this religion of surrender. And then in Christianity, they're constantly talking about surrender to God's will. And then in Taoism, they're constantly saying you have to follow the Tao, you know, like let go and follow the Tao and you can't get in your own way. You basically have to surrender to the Tao. And then in Buddhism, it's also this thing about surrender your desires. Um, so it's like all these patterns. And then, and then you, with science, this is revealed and it's like, okay, now I can confirm what was said in all these philosophical and religious textbooks with science, which is super fascinating, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's definitely, a, it's been a huge lesson for me, this thing about surrendering that I hadn't even considered um, because I think it really is the key to success, which is so, uh, it's such a paradox. You know, you think that the more effort you put into things, the better it will be, but it's actually the opposite. The more you surrender and, and let go, the smoother things will flow. And I have totally confirmed that. So like first that was revealed through my research. And then in my own life experiences, I started like implementing that more. And then I did notice that things do flow smoother when you're surrendering. And it totally is follow that path of least resistance. That's what surrendering is, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember last time when we were first planning this podcast, I was telling you that that's so interesting that you're finding, I guess, I don't even, I guess just to clarify, like your finding was that it wasn't even as much to do with the ayahuasca. It was the people who went in with a more surrendering mentality who came out with those deep healings and transformations. Exactly. Well, it, it was the ayahuasca because the ayahuasca experience is so intense. Some people mm -hmm. fight it True. when they're going through it, which can definitely send you into a panic. But the best thing is to surrender. And, and so in a harsher way, ayahuasca teaches you this teaching, this lesson, which if you apply it to your own life, it's so transformative you know yeah it's like this thing about doing less and being more just be and in our culture we've totally forgotten how to do that and um i think we it would really benefit us collectively as well if we learned how to chill out more and it's so funny because this pandemic totally is forcing us to surrender and we still don't know how to do that we're still struggling so much <laughs> yeah it's like people can't let out their resistance in one way so it just boils up and shows up in some other platform or whatever exactly um, obviously, there's been a lot of tension for a lot of things during this pandemic yeah um and of course they were all many of them were very good reasons but still um it's been a really interesting time in that way but i think i one thing you said there actually really caught my attention because you were saying some people go through the ayahuasca experience with a lot of resistance mm. and 
that just makes me think back because I, you know, I've had psychedelic experiences. I've been to ceremonies, not ayahuasca, um, where I go there with an intention I'm trying to work on. And, you know, I'm very curious about studying the mind and the different tools that people who have the kinds of mindsets I want to replicate and the way, you know, they had lived with the value systems that I want to live with. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of got onto like all of this stuff is I just saw a trend in the people who have what I want um, and live nice, nice rewarding lives. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I would explore that territory. But um, so, you know, I, I microdose mushrooms as a, as an intellectual tool. Um, I'm very intentional about it. Um, I don't just do it all the time. I'm not just a mushroom head. I don't even, I don't even smoke marijuana. I don't even really drink. Um, my drinking has gone down to like a glass of wine every month. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> That's like me um, now too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I like it. I like being sharp instead. Right. Um, it's the best. <laughs> and of course getting older and hangovers is a big aspect, but. Oh yeah. I feel like the older you get, the more sober you become. <laughs> oh yeah. Big time. <laughs> It seems like there's also this like second wave of partying when you're like 50 to 60. Oh yeah, it could be. I yeah, in Florida, at least, all the parties. <laughs> yeah, or at least with my parents, maybe they're having yeah. a great time. Oh yeah, at that age. Um, but anyways, back to the point. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I I've, I've like experimented enough, and I I'm a big advocate for what's going on with psychedelics because we're seeing it really heals people from so many things that are so much worse for them and society, like the opioid crisis and PTSD sure. from vets, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm a big advocate, but I get a lot of my friends and people who know that about me, who I openly talk about psychedelics and how they're having this modern day Renaissance as a therapy tool and how people like me microdose as a, a tool for, you know, creating new pathways in my brain and learning things. And, and sometimes they ask me and they want to do it. And I just kind of tell them like, there's like almost exactly kind of, I feel like I'm trying to tie this into what you were saying about people going in with a lot of resistance, but there's so much hype about psychedelics and ayahuasca and all of these things but they're very serious experiences. And if you aren't ready for them, then you're going to go in with a lot of resistance and you might just have a really dark experience. For Um, sure. It's like playing with fire and, you know, fire can be such a beneficial thing. You can use it to cook a really nice meal, but if you don't know how to use fire, you can also burn yourself. So that's an amazing analogy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. It's this, it's really this neutral thing, really psychedelics. It is what it is. It opens you up. But what matters is the place where you're at and how much you can handle it. And actually, one thing that I realized the first time I did ayahuasca was, thank goodness I've been doing yoga for so many years, because that's the one thing, like, it's the one thing that kept me centered the whole time. I I knew that if I just let myself get caught up in my thoughts or feelings that I would go into a spiral. But uh, in yoga class, they really teach you how to breathe 
and use that as your anchor when the poses get really difficult. Um, and because I've been doing it for so many years, it just comes like second nature. And even when I'm having, I'm going through a difficult uh, moment in my life, like I'm really nervous for a presentation or something, it just comes naturally for me to go to my breath. And then in the ayahuasca experience, I felt myself like using the breath as this to anchor. And I thought, my goodness, what do people use if they don't have this tool? How, I, I can't even imagine going to an ayahuasca ceremony just like that without any practices of mindfulness, yoga, or breathing techniques, meditation, nothing. Like how it's like you're just naked and exposed and hanging, free hanging. And like, you don't know how to handle that. Like that's pretty intense. And that could definitely be dangerous. That could be more dangerous than beneficial. So yeah, totally. I think there, it's this whole world of ayahuasca and psychedelics that's so romanticized, but people don't realize that the consequences that can come with that. I think it's a lot of the media too. The media just only plays it up. Like it's this wonder drug or this wonder, I wouldn't even say drug, wonder medicine. Yeah, but big time. It's, not, it's not necessarily, like it can also be really, really dangerous, you know, if you're yeah. not careful with it. Yeah, exactly. I think it does kind of devalue the, how serious of a thing it is. And that's an yeah. interesting example, actually, like having your breath and being able to ground yourself in those situations because if it's totally unfamiliar to you, yeah, I can imagine. I haven't done ayahuasca. Um, I am quite curious about it, but you know, I'm not. I try and do these things like at the right time when there's a purpose for them instead of. Yeah. Because even, I met some amazing people at the San Pedro ceremony that I went to, but I met a lot of people who had just had. You couldn't even count how many times they had done it in the last two years on like your like two hands. And I was like, this kind of devalues the like, yeah, down, like go to this really crazy place where you can understand yourself so much more deeply. Yeah, for Is sure. It just a recreational thing at that point. Like, I don't really know, but it seems more like it. I always think that ayahuasca will come to you. You don't have to go to it. When, when it calls you, you'll know. But I think too many people are just seeking it out because they want that experience. But I really do believe that like ayahuasca will call you when it is time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I believe that too. And that's what everyone kind of tells me about it as well. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, I guess before, like, Overall, from the research and from your experience, did you have any really big, did you have any really big breakthroughs of your own while you were down there? Um, mm -hmm. Even well, during your ceremonies or even just spending a month down in Colombia in the jungle? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty young at the time. I was 23. So I think, uh, <laughs> I still hadn't fully developed like all my emotional regulation capabilities. Um, but it, I think what it showed me the most is what I told you earlier is 
um, we have more influence on reality than we think, you know, and you know that when you are exposed to these experiences because you realize that once the veil is gone, you can definitely influence your environment and your influ your environment totally influences you. And you, but you can change that, you know, it, it can start with you to change that feedback loop to make it healthier and honestly to create the reality that you want. And that's pretty fascinating and super exciting. So I wouldn't say I had like a huge healing. I, I don't know. I didn't really go for healing. I, I went more so for honestly, like curiosity. That's why I did the research. And um, so that's what I learned is um, we really are the creators of our own reality. We just don't know it. We're so numbed out to that because we only perceive with our five senses. But all the sure. time we, we have thoughts that we don't even notice and that's creating our reality, you know? And, and so it's all about developing awareness around the energy that you are creating inside and that creates the energy outside as well. And we have a big responsibility because that energy goes into the collective as well. And then the collective is just like a stronger force field that will influence you as well and the world and your city, your country, et cetera, you know, and the world. Yeah. yeah the world. So we have a responsibility to be aware of the energy that we are creating inside, which creates the energy outside. I just don't think enough people know that. And it, it's like they're almost powerless because they think, well, I can't really do anything about that. And yeah, you can. You can start from inside. And so that was the biggest breakthrough that I had, I think. But it wasn't just like I learned it then. It, it's more so like all my experiences from that point to where I am now, which is like five years that's the breakthrough that I got but it wasn't just like something I realized in one ayahuasca ceremony or during that month it was like a building up from that okay yeah oh that was beautiful <laughs> yeah I think um I don't know if this is just the conspiracy theorist in me because I do have a bit of that side I like diving into alternative answers for things that don't really make sense but yeah. I think in a lot of ways you know it's maybe like something that I'm just afraid of and maybe I'm just projecting it but I almost think that we're taught how powerless we are um, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a just the way like the media socializes us the way you watch tv shows and it's about people who just can't figure their lives out and bad things happen to them until they just get lucky yeah, exactly. and you start to like be programmed that oh life is hard. Yeah, um, totally. I don't even think that's a conspiracy theory. I think that's like so obvious, you know. Yeah, everything everything yeah. we watch, it's all about that. It's all about how life should be, and then people take internalize this conception of how life should be so much that they shame themselves for when their life is not like that. You know when they don't follow the neatly set up plan that's like, okay, graduate from high school, then university, then get married, then have kids, 
get a house. It's like so predictable. Obviously, life is not, it shouldn't be that way for everybody because we're so unique and it's so much better when we're like in our diverse gifts. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. This is one that, that is probably, oh man, I love that this is where our conversation is headed because I can talk about this stuff all day. Yeah, but, good. Um, this might be even an interesting one to chat with with you because you're almost somebody who I knew before I really changed quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. That might sound a bit weird, but like in high school, I, um, I was really shy. I was really shy and that was just who I was. And I obviously had all the internal dialogue that went along with that. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm an avid learner and I really worked hard at learning things about, about people who somehow broke out of that. And I put a lot of time into like changing the way I tell myself that I am and talk about programming. You watch TV shows over and over and over again about people struggling and that starts to become how you see the world. I would write down how I want to be and the kind of person I want to be over and over and over again. Like yeah. to this day, I just recently stopped doing it because I'm in this new mentality where I'm like, I'm here. I'm yeah. running my own business. Yeah. I'm excited about all this. I just need to refocus my energy on creation but for a while i was had my energy focused on getting to this place and mm -hmm. i really had to change my self-image and work on that quite a lot and you know i went from this person who was incredibly shy and uh i felt really disempowered like i was in university not doing that well because i wasn't even engaged in it I did not know how I was going to do anything in life that actually excited me. And it's because I really like didn't know that I didn't think that it was possible for me to create that until I started kind of working on myself a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and things have completely transformed from that. And I'm not even doing this to like pump my own tires, but like <clears throat> I went from that person um, to being someone who, like I have a podcast, I do public speaking. Um, I can talk to anybody and that has helped my career drastically and I've become a pretty hard worker. And it came from, at the end of the day, it almost came from me getting into mindfulness and starting to realize, wow, like the thoughts that happen in your head, you do have a huge impact on them. So For you're talking sure. about that feedback loop and how it can start with you changing it. Yeah. Like it's so much easier than people think. It just takes consistency. You just have to constantly be like, oh, I'm going to change the feedback loop now. I'm going to feed. Exactly. It's, every it's time. Like about it, the will. And I love reading about philosophers talk about the will and your free will. And that's like really the only thing that you have. Like you can take away, this is what Viktor Frankl says. You can take everything away from a human except free will and free will to respond to situations, free will for their attitudes. You could be going through a very difficult time, like Viktor Frankl went through the Holocaust. I can't even imagine anything worse than that. And he said this, he said, you can respond, you can change your attitudes to what's going on around you. 
And that is, nobody can take that away from you. So yes, we need to like take that on more, more responsibility for that and, and really develop awareness around it. Because I think people would definitely use their will more. I just think that there's a lack of awareness in people's thoughts. And I know this is in myself too, how much my thoughts can be self-defeating. But, and then I'm like all of a sudden anxious and I don't know why. And it's because I haven't noticed how my thoughts have been attacking me this entire time, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So totally. It's all about uh, acceptance and yes, snapping out of that narrative that tells you how you should be and, you know, trying to fit into this mold of what society tells you that you should be and should be doing and and just like really be authentically you and the gifts that you have to offer to the world you can only tap into that if you snap out of that narrative and like follow your own path because if you follow that path that everyone's going through okay first of all you have to admit that there's a bit of resistance in that like how could everybody just magically be married by and have a house and kids by 30 or 35 you know like obviously we're not all meant to do that <laughs> because we are such a diverse people and that's what's so beautiful about us um but then also you know it's it's health it's part of your health to live your purpose and that is unique for you and you won't get that from watching tv shows what you should you won't get that from researching like what are the top degrees for making the most amount of money <laughs> you know nice. definitely you, been there yeah honestly me too <laughs> <laughs> we all get caught up in that right and i can totally admit that but it's it's more so about developing an internal compass which is what all these practices that we've been talking about can teach you and and follow that path of least resistance because if you follow that path of least resistance you will always go to where you need to be and i think people need to be patient in in what gets revealed and not try to rush things and that's another thing this pandemic taught me is be patient you don't need to rush things and there's always this pressure from society that you need to be at a certain place by a certain age or if you are looking for support and you're this age then shame on you because you should have had it figured out by now and i don't think that's true i think we are we are such a, a diverse people and we constantly need support we're we're a social species we need the support of other people we need to be in community otherwise like there is no purpose in being human <laughs> no purpose is to serve one another and the world you know yeah. imagine, imagine living in this world all alone and it's all for you like that would be so meaningless that wouldn't be any fun for sure <laughs> i mean the way i look at it is and i never used to look at it this way but um i think in the last year it was something that i just kept hearing over and over and then the pandemic was an amazing example of it or forced real examples of that onto me and probably everyone else. But the quality of your life often comes down to the quality of your relationships. Oh, totally. For sure. I agree with that. Yeah, it's just so true. Um, 
And, you know, just like what you're saying, there's, I love quoting this study because I feel like it is just the biggest wake up call. And still most of us cling to things that aren't really uniquely suited to our unique personality and the things that we want for ourselves. But there's, there was some famous study from, I forget who it was. It's always better when you can quote the person who did it, but, um, and it was like the, yeah, it was like the regret, the regrets of people on their deathbed. And it's the number one, we might've even chatted about this last time. That might even be why it's top of mind, maybe. Um, but the number one regret of people who are on their deathbed are that they didn't live a life true to them. They wish they lived a life more true to themselves than, than for other people or for looking good towards other people. Exactly. I've heard that too. Uh, and, and people also regret not traveling enough. <laughs> so go travel. But yeah, it's, I, I've heard that one too. And um, exactly like, because they were pretending the whole time they were pretending to be happy or to be satisfied when deep down they knew that they were not happy because they weren't living out their purpose and they weren't being authentic they weren't being their true selves so it's like they lived this entire lie their entire lives and what could be more sad than that you know yeah yeah i have a good example what was that and all for what just for looking good for i don't know for society not telling them not not feeling shame in front of their peers right yeah yeah looking good basically like all the different versions of looking good yeah exactly and it's such a shame but i've been there you know i think i think we've all been there it's, it's really hard to snap out of it because it's such a strong force field. But that's why we have these different practices, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, um, community retreats, co- finding community that encourages authenticity and um, the diversity of humanity. That's really beautiful. That's why yeah. I loved going down to ayahuasca, uh, to the, this ayahuasca center because that was really celebrated and you could just be you 100% no judgment and that was amazing and it's so rare to have that well maybe not so now I think more and more there's things opening up like that which is so beautiful but before even like our parents generation imagine how hard that would have been to try to be authentically you Oh, years ago. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, seriously. I was watching a show on Netflix with my girlfriend over the last weekend. It was based in the 60s. And I like, I love assessing this, but like the male female dynamics of different eras and whatnot. Because I think there are these like deep rooted, like masculine ways of being and these deep-rooted feminine ways of being that are like part of in our dna yeah they're so deeply ingrained yeah um and i was just noticing like all the men in this show are like they're just closed off unemotional stoic like men from the 60s and they're all like that 
And it's yeah. like, can you imagine being wanting to talk about your feelings as a guy back then? Like you True. would be laughed out of your neighborhood, probably. I can't even imagine how hard it would be. You'd be like excommunicated. That's the worst punishment you could do for you. That's why people weren't doing it. Because it, it was criminal to do that. It still is in some countries. It's criminal to be authentically you, which is so sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a conundrum. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the modern stance of a lot of these tools? And by tools, I mean um, the different kinds of substances that are being brought to life through research, through legitimate research from places like Johns Hopkins. Um, I know Oregon, I'm pretty sure just officially voted to decriminalize mushrooms and now they're trying to decriminalize everything and take an approach like Portugal does. Um, I think they already did decriminalize everything. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. That's obviously, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's so much better to rehabilitate people who have addiction problems than to throw them in jail like they're oh, criminals. Absolutely. I'm so um, glad drugs won the war on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. But well, I was kind of curious your thoughts on that, just based on the fact that it's so funny to say this because it was only five years ago, but it seems like compared to probably 90% of the, 95% of the people who talk about psychedelic research and psychedelic therapy right now, didn't, they were like not talking about it at all five years ago. Like yeah. you're one of the early people in it, especially you're doing some research and you're in a lab studying neurofeedback yeah that's true i definitely rode that wave at the beginning um i yeah and i'm not so much in it anymore i i've switched gears but it's okay because for me psychedelics was like level one <laughs> vr and neurofeedback level two and now i'm at the university about to get this job that's helping people um find their purpose so what it really is is um helping students get a job after they graduate a meaningful job but you know the underlying my underlying mission in that is to help them find the purpose their purpose that is uniquely for them and i want to help them with self-discovery and self-understanding because that is so important for your career development and not enough universities are doing that education is not doing that but that should be like the number one priority you know how people reach their potential so that's where i'm at now and so going back to your question what do i think about that i think it's great it's really moving us forward it's the renaissance of what was happening in the 60s but in the 60s i think it was just too much of like a a party scene and people not being very responsible with these substances and now we are definitely taking it more seriously and being more responsible with it and putting it in a context where it's more legitimate like these indigenous contexts that actually they have so much to teach us right 
we like with these substances like the incas the shipibos like all these different tribes throughout south america like throughout the world really they've been using these substances forever and we are just like as art the dominant culture is just getting to know them. and it's like oh wow all these fascinating studies that prove that psychedelics works like okay we've known that always well at least the indigenous people knew it. we're just it's like the same old story like um when christopher columbus discovered the new world hello it was always there it's just the these europeans just found it and it's not the same thing with psychedelics like oh my gosh we're discovering that these things work actually no they've always been there it's just that the dominant culture just started realizing how awesome it is and and so we need to humble ourselves a little bit in our culture and ask the indigenous people for their guidance because they've always had this context and in the 60s that's where we went wrong we we just thought like we could handle it just like a free fall but it really needs to be put into a more sacred context which is what these indigenous cultures can offer us so that's what i think i think we're kind of a little bit arrogant with science too because we're just going in like oh this is so fascinating and yes it is fascinating but for the indigenous cultures it's almost like oh look our little brothers have caught up to us finally <laughs> 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 and it's kind of cute to see them do all their little studies but we've always known that so yeah i don't i, I think we we need to look at them for guidance for once you know yeah let them lead Absolutely. the way for once for sure yeah is it it's so different that's that's like ancestral wisdom exactly really handed down over generations and it's so, so amazing yeah what was that like they, so many generations like that's why they have got this down to a science whereas we are just starting from scratch we don't have anything really that's why we need to work together with them because we need to go off of them something that they've already been building forever for so many generations and oh, yeah. i think it's, it's time now to just like be a little bit more humble and ask them for their guidance in this regard in psychedelics and and other practices too it's not just psychedelics it's like the sacred the spiritual that gives us so much health and it's it's health that we really need because a lot of people are feeling empty even when they do find their purpose like eventually you're like okay what's next but if you have that core that spiritual core then you'll always be content and it's all about that it's just being content amazing <laughs> so well said <laughs> you're right you know we live in a time where mental health is a really serious problem and yeah there's something going on in these first world highly developed countries that we have wrong because we have just massive and really rapidly raising rising rates of depression and anxiety and people are are not happy yeah um and it's in places like Canada and Australia and the States and the UK where these things are happening the most. 
So yeah. we don't have it right. You know, we don't have it right. It didn't work. And it's so. Yeah, I think it's a, a, our value system. Our value system is all about work. It's like feeding this machine that's never ending. And we isolate ourselves a lot. You know, it's really sad. It's, it's um, interesting for me coming from a Colombian culture, which is such a collectivist culture. And then living here in Canada, which is such an individualistic culture. And, and sometimes it clashes a little bit, but I can see both sides. And it's just really sad to see how some people are so isolated here. And that's clearly such a big problem. But, you know, people are just not really aware of the importance of community and people. I think up until now, like it's really hitting some people really hard, this isolation and loneliness. And I hope that when this pandemic is over, people will realize how important it is to have community. Big time. I think that's one of the things that, and it's interesting for me, I guess, cause I'm, I guess my whole heritage is European at the end of the day, but my mom was Portuguese. Her whole side of the family was Portuguese and um that's euro latino so it's kind of like a collectivist culture too yeah very tight families like your grandparents yeah. are at your house like four days a week just oh, just yeah. because you know yeah. and even when i moved to vancouver i told my grandpa i was moving and the look in his eyes of like you're gonna go that far from us was like <laughs> like i love my grandpa he's done so much for me but that was like, it's just like part of the way he sees the world. He's like, families all live near each other. They're all together. Exactly. And I'm the only one really in my family who like moved to Toronto and now I live in Vancouver. And um, I really, I've seen it firsthand. Like the way that he grew up was clearly completely like that. And right. mine's a little less that, but I'm really grateful that I've have that kind of a I guess that kind of a background to like experience that and the goodness of it. Like I truly think about, I have so much gratitude for my grandparents because they were always around there. I've like so much love for them. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, that the countries like South American countries, a lot of European countries and yeah, you're right. They're doing that. They do that very well. And there's a reason that that happened, you know, yeah um exactly and maybe maybe this at least maybe this pandemic is kind of doing that for a lot of people because i know yeah. personally for me i talk to my parents and my siblings more now since march than i think i ever used to i think like, that's just, for a lot of people yeah like really uh people realizing what really matters like once you take away what's not necessary and now you're left with a, a very simple life, which is really all we need, you know. <laughs> we don't need all that extra stuff. It's the, all the distractions. And then you realize what really matters and you go back to the human values that really are so important for health, for human health. And I, I just think that we've gone for so long with this 
unawareness, this unconsciousness, um, and all these distractions that we don't realize how much loneliness can affect our health. So yeah, I, I think those collectivist cultures are definitely healthier than individualist culture. Although there can be problems too that come up in collectivist cultures. Like in Japan, they live so much for the other that it's almost like that detrimental to their health, you know? Yeah. So it's a balance, I think. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. There is that middle way somewhere in there that, that it's is always right. the middle way. Always, always the middle way. <laughs> yeah. We're just learning slowly but surely. Exactly.